Hope everybody is doing amazing on this holiday weekend. Everybody doing good this morning? Awesome. Thanks, Jen, for leading us in announcements. And for the record, I believe I'm a both hamburger and hot dog kind of guy myself. Let's go. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can grab them and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't know where it is, no worries. It is the first verse in the Bible. And so turn to page 1. Hopefully you should be there. And I'll explain kind of what we're doing in just a minute. I do want to share one more announcement with you um, that's kind of a little bit of a last-minute impromptu announcement. So on Thursday, I was hanging out in the backyard uh, with my boys, and we were having a great time. And I had a thought. I was thinking about the 4th of July, and I was thinking about our church family. And I was like, it'd be really cool if I could invite, like, the whole church over to my backyard for a 4th of July cookout, okay? I'm sorry. We can't do that, though, unfortunately. But... I called some of the pastors, and I was like, can we do something for the 4th of July? Like, we hadn't planned anything. It was kind of a day off or whatever. And so we all decided we're doing a 4th of July cookout, an impromptu 4th of July cookout. You guys excited about that? Let's go. Um, so here's the details of it. Uh, it's going to be over in the Calvary Melbourne Pavilion. Please don't come to my backyard. And it will be from 10.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. We're going to have some hot dogs, not hamburgers, sorry. And uh, we are also going to have some water bounce houses for all the kiddos. And so uh, it's, I don't even think it's on the website. Like I said, we're just like, usually we try to do things like we plan them really well. We have a graphic. We do them with a lot of excellence. This is just very last minute. But I was like, you know, there's a lot of new people at our church. I'd love to hang out with some people. And so if, if there's uh, anyone who would love to join us, we'd love to see you out there uh, on the 4th from 10.30 to 1 p.m. Sound good? Awesome. Okay, cool. So what are we doing today? Uh, we're going to take a pause for one week from the book of Ephesians. Uh, we have been in this series in the book of Ephesians, and because it's a holiday weekend, we're going to do something a little bit special. But I do want to highlight and let you know that uh, over the next three weeks, it's going to be a really, really special time as we study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul in the Ephesians is going to talk about some of the really important relationships that we have in our lives. He's going to talk about husbands and wives. He's going to be talking about parents and children. And these, he's also going to be talking about uh, our workplace, the office, kind of our purpose. And so over the next three weeks, even though we're going to stay in Ephesians, we're going to do a little mini-series on those three areas. We're going to have some special guest speakers coming to share, or maybe not, we're going to have some special speakers coming to share. And so it's going to be a really special time, and I'm, I want you to really look forward to the next three weeks. But today, we're going to do something different. Normally, we uh, spend time studying through books of the Bible, and we look at different sections of Scripture within that book. But today, we are not going to do one section of Scripture. We're not going to do one book of the Bible. Today, we are going to study the entire Bible. Yes, we're going to do it from Genesis to Revelation. Now, I know immediately some of you guys are worried because you're thinking, I've seen how long it takes for you to do 12 verses. I'm worried how long it's going to take you to do the whole Bible. And I will tell you off the bat that uh, I have finished on time every single service so far. And so maybe right now you're hoping that I'll close in prayer or open in prayer so that you can sneak out. No, no worries. We'll be okay. We'll finish on time. But I want to take a moment and kind of share why we're doing this. And so kind of to open, I want to ask, are there any Star Wars fans in here? Any fans of Star Wars? Who has seen Star Wars? Raise your hands if you've seen Star Wars. Okay, most of us. Okay. Let's say you've heard about Star Wars. 
you're excited because there's all of this hype around it, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to watch Star Wars. And so what you do is you do what oftentimes we do with the Bible, and you pick a random place to start. And so you decide, I'm going to watch one scene from The Empire Strikes Back. And so you just kind of randomly turn, and you find this scene, it's a little spicy, beware, as Princess Leia is kissing Luke Skywalker. There's uh, Chewie and then Hans in the background there. And so you check that scene out, and you're like, okay, kissing scene in a movie, familiar with it, heard about it. Okay, let's take that down. This is church, guys, for heaven's sakes. (laughs) And so then you decide to skip to the next scene, and you go to Return of the Jedi. And in Return of the Jedi, you happen to go to the scene where Princess Leia, and if you don't know Star Wars, she's the one who was just kissing the guy. She explains that the guy she was kissing, Luke, is actually her brother. And uh, you can see Han Solo's reaction here in this moment. (laughs) Now, if those were the only two scenes that you had witnessed, you would think this is a really, really strange movie. I don't understand why everyone's so excited about it. But, but oftentimes, we do the same thing with our Bibles. And maybe a lot of people, when they experience their Bibles, they come with expectation that maybe the Bible is uh, like sort of a love letter from God, or the Bible is this ancient history textbook. But oftentimes, when people start reading, it doesn't take too long until we get to some spots that are a little bit strange or a little bit surprising or interesting. And so some people, uh, when they read their Bibles, uh, they they get confused at certain stories, and so they kind of just sometimes mentally check out, and they're like, you know what, I don't understand. I'm just going to let the pastor tell me uh, what I need to know because I don't really get this. Some people, they just kind of barrel through, and they're just still confused, and some others, when they read different stories in the Bible, they'll actually say, man, this is harmful. This is damaging. This, this scripture, actually, we, we shouldn't do this. And for some, even, it causes them to want to walk away from the faith. And so my heart with our, our story today, my heart for our, 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 our time this morning is I want us to understand the Bible. And I want you to write down this idea, and it's going to help us as we begin to think about reading the Bible. And it's this, that the Bible is one unified story about God redeeming the world through Jesus. The Bible is one unified story about God redeeming the world through Jesus. And just in the same way is if you understand that Star Wars is an entire story and you watch Star Wars as an entire story, it's going to help with the individual saints. And in the same way, if we understand the story of the Bible, then the individual scenes within the Bible are going to make a lot more sense to us. And so when we think about scripture, this is actually a library. It is 66 books, 40 authors, written over 1,500 years, written in three languages, written on three continents. But throughout it all, it is a unified story that God has assembled together. And for us as a church, we are a church that loves the Bible. Amen? Amen. We love to teach the Bible. We love in our small groups to talk about the Bible. Man, it's our heart as a church that everyone at our church would have time where they spend time with Jesus on their own reading the Bible. But listen, the more confident you are in the story of the Bible, the more confident you're going to be to approach the Bible and read the Bible and ultimately to connect with Jesus through the Bible. And so here's the plan for today. 
we're going through the whole Bible, and if the Bible is a story, a true story, then we're going to divide it up into six different scenes. And we're going to walk through these scenes. In each scene, we're going to just study one or two verses, talk about some of the main points of it, and then we're going to learn one application point from each scene. Does that sound good? Okay, so let's dive in. We're going to look at scene one, and scene one is called creation. And it's found in Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. Now, by the way, you see the title up there. The title for today is The Story of Everything. The Bible is one unified story, and it is the story of God working his story of redemption throughout history. The first scene in the story is creation. Now, when I grew up, uh, when I went to college, I was a video production major, and I studied film. And one of the things that I discovered and that they taught me when I was a film major was that every single movie that you watch, every documentary that you see actually has some common components. One of them is that there is a hero in the story. And then the other is that there is a, a villain or a bad guy or conflict that tries, to, uh, that tries to fight with the hero. And so right now, at the beginning of the story, we're going to discover the hero of our story. And I ask you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I'm also going to put it on the screen. Every verse will be on the screen today. And Genesis 1, 1, the first verse in the Bible says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so we are introduced to the hero of our story. And the hero is not you. The hero is not me. The hero is God. And the first thing that God does is he creates everything. And in Genesis 1 and 2, our first scene, we see that God creates on the first three days the raw material, the sky, the earth, the ocean, the land. And then on days 4 through 6, he fills that raw material. He fills the sky with stars. He puts plants on the ground. He fills the ocean with fish, the air with birds. He creates the animals, and he ultimately creates the crown jewel of his creation, which is humanity. Every single day that God creates, he says it is good. But on the sixth day when he creates man, he says that it is, anybody know? Very good. Because mankind is the crown jewel of creation that, God, that man is created, man and woman are created in the image of God, that every human being is valuable because of this fact. Now, uh, Katie and I have gotten the chance a few uh, times to go to Europe. And one of the most fascinating things about Europe is the ancient buildings that are there. Um, here in America, where you're not going to find a building over like 300 years old, um, there, that's like a baby building. And so as you're touring these ruins, uh, there's a couple things that you're kind of amazed by. You look up and you're like, man, I cannot believe that walking through uh, this building, like they didn't have any of the technology that we had, and yet 1,000 years ago, 800 years ago, you know, 1,200 years ago, they are creating these massive, beautiful cathedrals and castles, and it just blows your mind. And so uh, one time we were, we were touring and we were walking through this cathedral and it was a ruin. Like the, the roof had collapsed in. The, the stones, some were up, but some were falling down. And one of the things that was interesting was like on the one hand, we, we recognize and we noticed like this is not how it's supposed to be. 
Like this is a ruin. This is not how they originally designed it. But you can also see the beauty and the majesty of what they created. Now, when you and I are reading Genesis 1 and 2, it's kind of like that. As we look around at the world today, we recognize like this is not how it's supposed to be. Can we agree with that? When we look around, man, we see the brokenness. We see the pain. We see things on the news and we're like, it's not supposed to be this way. But then when we look at Genesis 1 and 2, we see kind of the glorious ruin that we're in. That God designed the earth to be a beautiful and amazing place. And God's design is still seen today. We see that every human being is made in the image of God. We see God's plan and design in Genesis 1 and 2 for marriage and gender and sexuality. We see God's design for work and for rest, where there's all these amazing things in the creation story that we see. And so the big idea that I want us to think about as we journey through the Bible today, and we're going to be thinking about it throughout our time, is this. I wrote it down. That the more I understand the story, the more I understand my story. Each one of us have a story. And I think one of the things that God wants us to know today is he cares about our individual stories. He cares about what we're going through, the highs and the lows. But, but it can be very easy for us to be so locked in on our story that we forget about everything else. And my heart and what I believe God wants to do today is he wants to broaden our horizons. And he wants us to realize that God has been writing a story since the beginning of history. And that God is working all over the world. And so today we are going to be looking at God's story and everything that he is doing. And I believe the more that we understand that, the more that we could say, this is my part that I have to play. The more I understand the story, the more I understand my story. So we've looked at scene one. Let's journey on to scene two. And scene two is called fall. Now when I talk about the word fall, I'm not talking about the two days in Florida that we experience after our extended summer. I'm not talking about autumn. I'm talking about the word that theologians use to refer to when mankind rebelled against God, when mankind declared our independence from God and said, God, we don't need you. We want to do things on our own. In the fall, that portion of scripture, that scene is found in Genesis 3 through Genesis 11. And here's the setup. That God places Adam and Eve, the first two human beings, in the Garden of Eden. And God gives them this amazing and beautiful life to live. They are fully known and fully loved. They have purpose. They have each other. They get to walk with God. And God only gives them one rule. And the rule is that there is a tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says, do not eat of this tree, because if you do, you will die. You see, God wanted to give humans free will in order to pursue him or in order to reject him, because there can be no love without free will. And so God allows us as humans to either choose to walk with him or choose to walk away. And Adam and Eve, they were doing great. They were walking with him. But then we are introduced to the villain in the story. And Satan, who hates God, uh, he uh, kind of embodies a serpent, a snake, and begins to talk with Adam and Eve. Now, just as a side note, anytime a snake starts talking to you, just like kind of run the other way. That's just like good advice. But 
Satan begins to talk with Adam and Eve, and he begins to say, listen, this tree that God said don't eat from, he's lying to you. Actually, you're going to fulfill your wildest dreams if you do this. And this is what we discover in Genesis 3. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And so we see that, yes, Satan does tempt us, but each one of us also has a desire to rebel against God inside of us. And so we also uh, can choose sin and we could choose the things that are unhealthy for us. And it says this, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So we can't just give Eve all the grief here. Adam is standing right next to her the entire time and he does nothing. And together they choose to rebel against God. And immediately what we see is the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves. I think we have one more slide with the rest of this passage. Can you guys go back to, do do we have one more slide? And then together they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the garden. And so we see something very key here. What is sin? Sin is simply us rebelling against God. Sin is us saying, I want to do things on my own. And at first, sin is tantalizing. It looks interesting to us. It looks like it's going to fulfill a desire that we have in our hearts. But once we choose it, there is shame that comes in. And we realize that we are lacking. And we realize that the actions we took are lacking. And so Adam and Eve, they had to almost try to cover themselves and hide themselves. And they hid themselves from God. But what we also see in this story is that immediately after they sinned, God began to pursue them. God did not reject them. God did not uh, strike them down immediately. God walked to them. But I think it's so important for us to realize this moment. It is a big deal in the story. And you can write this down. That sin always separates us from God and leads to death. And this is what happens in the story. That Adam and Eve, they are banished from the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. And then as you continue to read in this scene, we arrive at some very famous stories. Cain and Abel, uh, Noah and the Ark, the Tower of Babel. And the common theme of each one of these stories is that mankind is rebelling, and that leads to separation, and that leads to death. Even if you think about the practical story of Cain killing his brother Abel, the rebellion of the father passed on to the son and that leading to death. Whenever we choose to sin against God, it leads to separation from God and it leads to spiritual death, relational death, and even death of our relationship with him. And so at the very beginning of the story, we see beauty, but almost immediately there is tragedy. But, but the great news is, the beautiful reality of the Bible is that God does not leave us on our own. And that's where we get to scene three. And scene three is called promise. Now, if you're sitting there and in your mind you're kind of doing the math, you're realizing we haven't gotten very far in the Bible yet. <laughs> and you're like, Brian promised 
that we get done on time and we're not moving at a very fast rate. Well, here's the good news. Scene three covers over 75% of the Bible. Almost the entire Old Testament, over 20,000 verses are included in this scene. And we'll give a brief overview of this scene in just a moment. But I think it's really important for us to kind of take a step back. You know, in your Bible, there are uh, two different sections. There is the Old Testament, which really accounts uh, from the beginning of the world all the way up into Jesus. And then there is the New Testament, which is the story of Jesus and then the story of the church. Now, most, most Christians, if you ask, which do you prefer, the Old or the New Testament, most would be like, definitely the New Testament. There's Jesus in there. There's the epistles in there. I get that stuff. Like, the Old Testament has some weird stuff. There's some crazy stuff in there. It intimidates me to read it. It's really long. There's books with weird names. There's just a lot of people who are scared to approach this. And so I really want you to, to understand something because there is a key passage that is going to help you understand the entire Old Testament. In fact, anytime you're reading the Old Testament and you get tripped up, you can go back to this passage and you can say, this passage is the foundation that everything else in the Old Testament is built on. And this passage is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And so actually, even if you're in Genesis 1, you can turn just a few chapters to Genesis 12. You could even star it or write, like, this is a key foundational passage, and I'm going to put it on the screen. It says this in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, the Lord had said to Abram, that's also Abraham, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And this is what God promises to Abraham. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And he says, I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So what's happening here? Well, remember, mankind has rebelled against God. Separation from God. Death. This is a really, really bad scene. But God has decided that he's going to step in and he's going to rescue humanity. But the question is, how does God do it? And he actually does it in a way that we wouldn't expect. He doesn't come down as a king. He doesn't come down and start a political movement. He doesn't come down and build an office building with the sole purpose of saving humanity. What he does is he starts with one man and ultimately one family. And God goes to Abraham and he says this. He says, I'm going to make three promises to you. We just read the three promises, but here they are. I'm going to give you a great land. I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, every single person on the entire earth will be blessed. Now, here's what you need to remember. These three verses are the foundation for the rest of the Old Testament because God is actually fulfilling that promise throughout the Old Testament. So anytime you read and you're like, why is this happening? It's God fulfilling that promise throughout the Old Testament. And I'm gonna show you. Right now, we're gonna do a very quick two-minute recap of the whole Old Testament. Stay with me, get locked in, put on your helmet, whatever you need to do. Here we go. A brief summary of the Old Testament. First off, we see that in Genesis 12 through 50, we have Abraham and then his children, Isaac, Jacob, and ultimately Joseph, Joseph, you remember, uh, he is sold by his brothers into slavery, and they end up in Egypt. And then basically all of the children of Jacob, the children of Israel, end up in Egypt. 
Then as we get into Exodus, we see that the Israelites are delivered from slavery in Egypt. If you've ever seen the movie Prince of Egypt, this is when Moses happens and the plagues and the, and the delivery and the exile from Egypt. The next thing that we see is that God gives his people a law in the wilderness. This is the movie The Ten Commandments where uh, Charlton Heston goes up on the mountain and talks to God. Not actually that didn't happen, but what really happened was Moses went up and talks to God. And throughout Exodus all the way through Deuteronomy, we see that God gives his people the law. They wander around in the wilderness and ultimately God is establishing a new uh, a covenant with his people. Then we see the conquest of the promised land, and eventually the children of Israel end up in the promised land. So go back to our foundational verses. God's promise to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Check, that's done. Then I'm going to give you a great land. Check, that's done. They've made it to the promised land. But here's the problem that God's children throughout this time keep on rebelling against him. And so what we see as we continue through the Old Testament is we see the rise and fall of Israel in the promised land. And during this section of scripture, there's a lot of famous characters, Samuel, Saul, David, Solomon, Elijah, Elisha. That's all found in this area of scripture. But all this is, is over and over again, the children of Israel are rebelling against God. They're facing consequences. They're repenting. And then the whole cycle happens again. We also see in the Old Testament that there is the poetry of the nation of Israel, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. We see the prophets of the nation of Israel. These are the men and women that God raised up to preach messages of warning and encouragement. And then lastly, we see the exile. Because the children of Israel were rebellious, they had to leave the promised land, but then God in his grace allowed them to return to the promised land. So there you go, the whole Old Testament in two-ish minutes, okay? But remember, all of that is built on this foundation. God is made a promise to Abraham. Great nation, great land, and ultimately, through you, every nation in the world is going to be blessed. But there's a problem. We get to the end of the Old Testament, and one of the promises that God made is not fulfilled, Because Israel was so rebellious, not every nation on the earth was blessed through them. And so it seems like God has not fulfilled one of his promises, and we're going to have to wait until scene four for that to happen. But what we do see is this. This is a very key point. You can write it down. That we love to rebel and run away, but God loves to run after and to rescue us. Throughout the Old Testament, if there is one theme that is prevalent, it's that over and over again, it's like Groundhog Day, the same thing happens every day, over and over again. The the people are rebelling against God, but God loves them and he pursues them and his grace and faithfulness and mercy are so mind-blowing, he's so patient with them and he brings them back. But we get to the end of the Old Testament and it's an amazing story, but it's also kind of discouraging because it feels like, man, The people have just screwed up too much. Is there any hope? And that's what brings us to the most beautiful part of the story, which is scene four. And scene four is Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, there's an interesting story that I want to kind of tell you to recap uh, Jesus' life. 
after Jesus died and after he rose again, he began to meet with some of the different disciples. And by the way, the disciples were very confused about what happened. If you ever felt confused about the Bible, you're not alone. Even Jesus' own disciples oftentimes were like, what is going on? And Jesus, he begins to explain the Old Testament to his disciples. And he says something really interesting to them in Luke chapter 24. It's on the screen. Jesus says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the whole Old Testament. We just talked about it. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus, what he says is, throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament is actually pointing to me. And if we had time, I could show you all the different ways in the Old Testament that God, God promised to send the people a Savior. God promised to send Jesus, and Jesus was ultimately going to be the Savior not only of Israel, but also of the whole world. You see, through Abraham, through David comes Jesus, and through Jesus, all the world is blessed. And so that promise that God made to Abraham that through you, every nation on the earth will be blessed, that finds its ultimate fulfillment through Jesus. And that right now, we're actually living in the fulfillment of that promise. As right now, here in Florida, in the ends of the earth, our nation is blessed through Jesus. That all over the world, today, on Sunday, churches are meeting, the gospel is being preached, and people are being blessed through Jesus Christ. Very quickly, I want to talk about three important elements of Matthew through John, which is the scene about Jesus. The first one is this. Three significant elements of Jesus' life. First off, Jesus shows us God. We read throughout the Bible that if you want to know who God is, you simply look at the life of Jesus. The second thing that we see is that Jesus shows us what his kingdom will be like. If you've ever been reading the Gospels and you wonder, why is Jesus teaching so much? Why is Jesus training his disciples? Why is Jesus doing all these miracles, casting out these demons, raising people from the dead? What he's doing is he's demonstrating this is what his kingdom will look like. A kingdom of, of healing, a kingdom of freedom, a kingdom where he is Lord, a kingdom of new life. But then finally, the most important thing that Jesus does is Jesus dies and rises again so that we can have new life with God. Now I want you to think about this. In scene two, the fall, we learn that sin separated us from God and sin led to death. Now, when Jesus died, he took our sins on us, on his back, so that we could have forgiveness for our sins. And if we have forgiveness for our sin, then we are no longer separated from God. And when he rose again, that means you and I, we can have resurrection life so that death will no longer conquer us and that we'll be able to live forever with him. And so what we need to understand and what we need to learn, you can write this down about the life of Jesus, is that we can't save ourselves. We need Jesus. Amen. We can't save ourselves. And, and, and the Old Testament is full of characters who they were good, they had great attributes, but ultimately they could not be the savior of their people. And in the same way, you and I, we can't save ourselves. There are so many people who say, before I get to God, I need to stack up enough good deeds. Before I get to God, I need to clean up my life. And the reality is there's no one in our lives that has the power to change and transform us. Only Jesus can do that. We must turn to him. 
Let's look at scene five as we move quickly. In scene five, it is mission. And by the way, if you're wondering, this is where we are at at this present moment in history. We are living in scene five. We're living in mission. But in the Bible, that's found through Acts, through Jude. Right at the beginning of, or the end of Jesus' life, before he went back to heaven to be with his father, he gathered his disciples and he said, I'm sending you out. You have a purpose now. He says, I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to empower you, and I'm sending you on a mission to tell everybody the story of everything. He says, go and make disciples. Tell them we can't save ourselves. Tell them our sin is separated from God, and tell them that Jesus loves you and he wants to save you. And so I have a question for you as we think about mission. And by the way, If we think about those sections of the Bible, if you're reading through the book of Acts, what you're reading is this is the start of the church, how Jesus began to build his church. And then the books of Romans all the way through the book of Jude, that's different letters that church leaders wrote. And it teaches us theology. It teaches us how to live. But here's the question for us. What is my part to play in the rescue story? What is my part to play? God has given us a mission. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then he has called you to be part of that mission. He wants you to join him, and he wants you to walk with him. And so even over the next few days, as we have some time to think and reflect, man, I want you to ask yourself, what part do I have to play in the story that God is writing? Now we're going to arrive at our sixth and final scene, and the sixth scene is renewal. Renewal. This is the entire story of everything, creation, fall, promise, Jesus' mission, and renewal. And renewal is found in the book of Revelation. If you think back to the very beginning, God created a perfect world. And what we see is that in the book of Revelation, the ultimate last part of history is that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, that he is going to make all things new. And for anyone who believes in him and who believes in this story, they are going to be part of that new heavens and the new earth. He invites us to be there together. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, this is a promise to us. It says, he who is seated on the throne, that's Jesus, said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about heaven About two months ago, I did a teaching called, What Does the Bible Say About Heaven? And so if you want to learn all about that, you can check that out on our archive. But really what we need to understand from this scene in the story is this, and it's on the screen, that Jesus is coming back, and he's going to do two things. He's going to judge humanity of right and wrong, and he is going to make all things new. Amen. So when Jesus returns, what what is he going to judge us for? Where he's going to primarily judge us. Did we trust in him? Did we ask him to forgive us of our sins? Did we make him the Lord and the Savior of our life? And I hope for you that answer today is yes. Okay, now here's the deal, guys. We just studied the entire Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Come on, give yourselves a hand for that. That's pretty good. Well done. Well done. But as we close, I want to put up the big idea that we started with, and I want to talk about it for just one more moment. The more I understand the story, 
the more I understand my story. I want you to think for a moment about your life. So many people, when they think about their lives, they say, I'm just trying to, to live for me. I'm trying to make my story the best it possibly can be. And a lot of times that is the narrative of our culture because our culture has removed God and our culture has removed the concept of eternity. And so if this life is all there is, then we should try to make this life as maximum best as we can for us. But Jesus, he said this, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? And so my my prayer and hope is that we at Calvary, we don't say, man, I want to make my life as great as possible. You know, other people, when they think about their story, they're actually not living their story. They're living someone else's expectation of their story. Maybe there's someone in your life that has spoken something over you and you feel like you have to live in that. Maybe you are watching what's going on in culture and you're saying, trying to copy that or you're, you're trying to copy uh, someone you saw on a, a movie or someone you saw on your phone. And you're like, that's, that's who I want to be like. But I don't want us to live for someone else's story either. What I want us to do is I want us to recognize that there is a story and that story is actually the story. That God has started something and he has promised that he will finish it. And he is working, and he has been working throughout history, writing his story. And not only throughout history, but even on planet Earth right now, God is doing amazing things, and he is working in the midst of all the chaos. And so when we think about that, what we realize is, man, my my life is actually pretty tiny compared to eternity. My life is pretty tiny compared to everybody else. But what's amazing is if I recognize that God is doing something and I say, God, I want you to take my story and I want you to make it a part of the story. I believe God can do amazing things in our lives and God can use our lives for his glory and for his story. And and so what does that look like for us? Well, for some of us, practically, that may look like I just need to get to know my Bible more. And and now that you know the overview, maybe you can have more confidence to read your Bible. For some of us, maybe that means I want to discover more about how God has wired me and how God's purpose is for me and how God wants to use me. And and maybe for you, you need to join our, our shape class and say, how has God wired me? But maybe for some of us in here, you would say that right now, I actually don't even have a relationship with God. But maybe for the first time today, you understood what God is doing in the story of the Bible, the story of Jesus, and you say, I want to become a Christian. Or maybe you've walked away from God. But now today you've remembered, and God is inviting you back to rededicate your life to him. So for that, I want to take a moment, and I want us to pray. Let's bow our heads. God, we're grateful for your story. We're grateful for all you have done. And today, we have marveled. Maybe for some of us, it feels like we are drinking out of a fire hose a little bit. And we're just processing what's happening. But God, I believe you're moving all over this place. You have been all weekend. And so if there is someone here today that would recognize that, you know, our sin separates us from God that we continuously run away from him, but God loves to rescue. 
and that recognizes that, you know what, I need Jesus. I want him to be the savior of my life. I want to ask you if that's you. If you want to begin a relationship with him or rededicate your life to him, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to ask you right now, would you just raise your hand in the air? Awesome. Praise God. Praise God. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else? If you could just leave your hand in the air for just a moment so I could see you. Thank you. I see you. Amazing. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Man, throughout the room, hands going up as we're remembering that this life is not about us, but it's about God. And for people saying, God, I want to come back to you, or even for the first time, I want to come to you. For those of you guys who raised your hands, and I think I saw about 10, 12 hands in this room, I want to ask you just to pray a simple prayer. Now, these are not magic words, but what you're doing is you're putting your faith in Jesus, and you're saying, Jesus, I'm trusting you to save me. And you're saying, I want to follow him. I don't want this to just be a moment, but I want this story, my story, to be about his glory. If you would just pray a prayer and just say, dear God, thank you for saving me. Even though I rebelled against you, you rescued me. Thank you. Please forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. I'm no longer separated from you. I have new life. God, help me to follow you. Bring people around me that will encourage me on the journey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Hey, can we take a moment and just celebrate what God is doing in this place? Man, praise God. Praise God. Hey, I wanna ask you to stand up to your feet if you would. In just a moment, we're gonna take communion. And communion really is, it is us remembering the story of everything. But before we take communion, the, the scripture always challenges us to examine our lives and to think about if there's anything in our life that is not honoring to God. And so I wanna encourage you as the band is playing, let's examine our lives. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us. And so take a moment and if there's anything between you and God in this moment, confess it to God. He will forgive you and we'll take communion together. So let's pray and let's sing. Sing together from my heart. From my heart to the heavens. Jesus, be the center. all about you. Yes, it's all about Jesus, Jesus. 
So as you walked in, you were given a communion cup. And I want to let you know, um, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, um, we're so glad you're here and we welcome you to be here. Uh, but, but this moment is not for you, so I just encourage you to let this pass by. But for all of us who are followers of Jesus, even if you today raised your hand and said, I wanted to follow Jesus, uh, you're welcome to take this. So let's take the bread first. And in 1 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes, and he says, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. And we remember that our sin separated us from God, but Jesus took on the ultimate punishment, brutally beaten, brutally tortured, so that he could pay for our sins. We could have forgiveness for our sins and we could be with God. Jesus, we thank you for your body broken for us. God, we thank you that your love is a pursuing love, a faithful love, a fierce love. And we remember your heart and your love for us as we take the bread together. Let's take it. going to take the cup now. It says in scripture that after supper, Jesus took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. With this cup, we remember all that Jesus did for us. And we remember that he is walking with us. For some of us, maybe even in this room right now, you're thinking about your failures. You're thinking about th things that you've done that would be displeasing to God. And, and what, the, what the cup represents is that Jesus' blood makes us white as snow. It cleanses us. And it represents for us the, the, the commitment God has to us, that he is more committed to us than we are to him, that he is going to walk with us every step of the day and every step of the way. So God, we thank you for that commitment. And Father, I even pray that as people are, are taking this, uh, this communion cup right now, that you will just give them a fresh revelation of your love, a fresh revelation of your commitment to us and of your heart for us. Let's drink together. Scripture says, as often as we 
eat the bread and we drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until his coming. So we remember the story of everything. We remember what God did, and we remember what God is going to do, and we remember that right now he's walking with us. Hallelujah. Amen. As we close, I just want to do a couple things. First off, I want to talk to those who raised their hands. There were so many who raised their hands in here. And I just want to encourage you. It's so important that you don't just leave and walk away, but you talk to somebody and say, God did something in my life. And there's going to be a group of people here that are going to be our prayer team. They are absolutely amazing. And they would love to pray for you. And so I know as we leave, a lot of people are going to be walking out. But I want to ask you, pause for a minute and just come forward. We would love to meet you. We would love to pray for you and encourage you. Don't let this moment pass you by. And, and for anyone else in here who has a prayer need, I want to encourage you to come and receive prayer as well. Um, uh, my, my wife Katie and I, we have a, a, a family need right now. And at the 9 a.m. service, we went and received prayer. So many people are like, I don't want people to see me down here getting prayer. Like, it's never a bad thing to receive prayer. It's not a, a weak thing. It's, it's a thing that we all need. We want to be a church that prays for each other and encourages each other. So if you need prayer or if you raise your hand, please come down and please uh, meet with somebody on our prayer team. It'll just take a few moments. Uh, our boxes in the back are available. And so if you want to give to the work of the Lord, you can do that. And you can also give online. Um, if you're new to our church, uh, we have an amazing team out there uh, in the commons at our center ring called New to Calvary. They would love to let you know uh, what's going on here at the church. And then the last thing is this. Don't forget about our little impromptu 4th of July cookout. Uh, and all the details will be up there as you walk out. But God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you next time.